force. We are dead. We are all dead. We were supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I know kung fu. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. This whole thing is insane. This whole thing is insane. 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane. Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy Heresies, and welcome to the Desert of the Real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is. It just is. Especially with the latest AB Live. Audio version for thee in this eternal now and in this red pill cafeteria. Robert Price materialized at the virtual Alexandria to discuss his new book, The Gospels Behind the Gospels. Much of the work focuses on early Christianity's underground and bubbling stream of Gnostic thought. That's what we'll concentrate on, finding the pre-Christian origins of Gnosticism, the Demiurge and why there is evil, and the secrets of various Gnostic Gospels. We verge into similar concepts like mystery religions, the rising and dying God-men, and ancient novels. Hide your daughters of orthodoxy. We need Gnosis more than ever, needless to say, in this age of Hermes, Philip K. Dick world, and Gnostic times. The collective and personal human consciousness is collapsing, and only the fire of Prometheus and the breath of Sophia will save us. You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom, or many of my guests and their unique insights, anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. So please support in any way you can. One way to support, which actually provides you with incredible educational material, is to join the Virtual Alexandria Academy. I've recently added the lesson, The Characteristics of Mary Magdalene. See Mary in her full impact and Gnostic majesty. Have you ever wondered what it means to be a Gnostic? Explore the depths of ancient knowledge with our exclusive online course on Gnosticism and learn at your own pace. Immerse yourself in the mysteries of the ancient world and uncover secrets never revealed before. And don't forget my voiceover availability for any podcast, commercial, audiobook, documentary, or whatevs. I'll bring you stellar results with down-to-home professionalism. And don't forget, I do have an Amazon wishlist and a fantastic merch store. Other than that, let us to our latest AB Live. 
the Empire never ended. Thank you. I love you. You're my little buddy. Okay. Let's watch some interdimensional cable. So you're saying my father and his kingdom? Well, yes. It's based on the fusion of a Sumerian god named Yah and a Mesopotamian god named Wei. And we're in a toy train? Yes. It's enough to really make you question all of existence, isn't it? So what do you think you're gonna do about it? I'm gonna do what I've always done. I'm gonna get the fuck out of here. Father of Omens! Give me blood beyond sight! Welcome, everybody. Welcome to AB Live. My name is Miguel Connor, and I am your Pompidus of Gnosis. Glad to see everybody. Glad you could join us on this Saturn day. And yes, people are definitely already joining into the chat room. Great to see everybody. And we have a very exciting show, as always, when we are joined by the Bible Geek. Robert M. Price. So, Bob, how are things doing? How is your battle against the priests, the priests of the Temple of Syrinx? <laughs> oh, uh, doing well, as far as I know. But, of course, I guess these things are always done on a higher and invisible plane. So one just has to keep one's fingers crossed, uh, hoping <laughs> you're winning. Good, good. Yeah, keep those uh, Archon passwords in your back pocket so you can whip mm. them out and use them when it comes. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I uh, really enjoyed your book, The Gospels Behind the Gospels, and uh, a lot of good Gnostic goody goody. So we want to focus on that. And with us, we've got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? Oh, happy to be here with the Superman of the Septuagint. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that uh, latest Bible geek with all the superheroes. Uh, yeah. So, uh -huh. so that was great. That was good to see you, Bob. Oh, Glad to you be here too. with you. Awesome. Yeah. And you just you posted on Facebook, you saw the new Ant-Man movie and you gave it a good review, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised to hear uh, from somebody else that the reviews are really tearing it down. I'm, I'm quite uh, mystified at that. I wonder what really? they expected. No idea, no idea. I'll have to check it out for myself when the time's up. So, yeah, maybe they want a roach man to appear or something. To yeah, <laughs> probably will in the next one or something. Actually, <laughs> they had uh, sort of implied that this this next one would involve uh, Bill Foster, uh, played by Lawrence Fishburne, as I remember in the uh, second one. Uh, he was to. Uh, in the comics, he becomes the Black Goliath, and uh, he he takes over that role once uh, Henry Pym becomes Yellow Jacket, and uh, which he he doesn't in this, obviously, though they do have a Yellow Jacket uh, character in the first movie, but they they didn't touch that one. Uh, but um, it certainly uh, follows up big themes from. Uh, the Avengers Endgame movie and all that stuff about the quantum field. And I thought they did a really fascinating job with that. Mm, so Morpheus has moved on to another job. Glad to see mm -hmm. you. 
York. <laughs> From the red pill and black pill to the black flag. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and the PIM particles, as they call it. <laughs> yeah, that is funny how, uh, yeah, in the, in the comic books, it's Henry, isn't it Henry Pym who creates Ultron? It's not Iron Man. That's right. That's yeah, my daughter, uh, Victoria, cannot forgive them for uh, changing that. Uh, actually, I think it makes more sense that Tony Stark would have uh, created Ultron than uh, Henry Pym, but that is the... Uh, as some folks really don't like what they do with MODOK in this movie. Uh, but what the heck? I mean, how many movies are they going to make if, if you want to have more of the characters, whether heroes or villains, you have to introduce them... Uh, obliquely in a in a different setting than they uh, first appeared and uh, so it's no uh, no surprise to me yeah no big deal i mean i was watching uh the second black panther movie and it, it made me laugh because sometimes they forget you've got the siri or i forget uh the girl who becomes the black yeah. panther she's working with all this ai and the queen mother is like don't mess with that and she's like oh ai is fine we will control it no problem like did you guys forget about ultron a few years yeah ago? it's already established that ai is bad in the marvel cinematic universe but they forgot about it in wakanda so sometimes they need to they need to do some fact checking on their own dialogue and screenplays but anyway why don't we talk about an even better, uh, a just as imaginative screenplay, and that is the New Testament. Hey. So you you say, uh, tell us about why you wrote this book. You said uh, you had to think of it as what a viewmaster toy, an exercise in speculation. Bob? Yeah, uh, where there's an image behind an image, and you have to see them both together to get some idea of the three-dimensionality of the original, and uh, that's kind of what I'm trying to do here. I, I know, of course, that the uh, present canonical Gospels uh, are not uh, promoting a whole bunch of different Christologies at the same time, uh, but it looks like they're presupposing a bunch of them that while uh, you could say that barely they're not incompatible, it seems to me that, that they are. I mean, somebody has tried to harmonize a bunch of uh, views of Christ that really point in very different directions. Why would that be? And uh, so I'm engaging in the thought experiment that the uh, the gospel writers, as we know them, uh, were using sources, each of which promoted consistently one or another of um, views of Jesus that are mentioned in the Gospels. And uh, like at least like we're told at the Caesarea Philippi confession scene with Peter that there are competing opinions of who Jesus is. Uh, some say uh, the returned Elijah, some say one of the prophets, and in John it's narrowed down to the prophet, the prophet like Moses in Deuteronomy, uh, and or John the Baptist raised from the dead, and then there are others, but I, I, it seemed to me for a long time that that means Mark knows uh, who he was, uh, that he knows of Christians that understand Jesus to be Elijah, 
not the Messiah or the Davidic Messiah, though there's an opposition to that eventually, even in Mark, um, uh, or that he is uh, Moses or one of these prophets, and uh, or is he the king of Israel, and, and so on, or why does he teach in parables? He only wants the elite to understand him. That doesn't fit the Davidic Messiah or any of the others. He's some kind of Gnostic mystagogue, and so on. And so it seems to me, did, did somebody certainly had a coherent view of who Jesus was, and apparently several somebodies did. And uh, and when the gospel writers decided to compile their books, they took uh, all sorts of Jesus material uh, floating around from these different groups and just sort of tossed them all in. And uh, they it's so apparent to me that it's not that difficult to uh, disentangle them and to say, look, here is material that, uh, in, that must have come from a group that thought Jesus was uh, the prophet like Moses. Others, um, like when Jesus uh, gives the Sermon on the Mount and and from from a mountain, right, like Sinai, uh, and and his face later in the Transfiguration glows like the sun, uh, like old Mo, uh, and uh, that the teaching of Jesus are placed into five sections. Uh, what does that tell you? Or the central section of Luke, the travel narrative as it's been demonstrated really beyond doubt, uh, that that is like a second Deuteronomy, or as I call it, a Deutero-Deuteronomy. Uh, and uh, why would you go to that kind of trouble in either case, unless you thought this guy is the new Moses, if not Moses returned, as some Samaritans thought? Or how about these lists of miracles, like three different versions, two in Mark, one in John, have Jesus do a, a series of miracles. And at the end of John, it says, well, of course, Jesus did all kinds of stuff. I, I wouldn't have the room to cover them all, but I have chosen these to, to uh, get you to believe that Jesus was the Christ. Well, who, who expected the Christ to do all of these particular things? Uh, they sound more like Elijah and Elisha. And there were people, Mark tells us, who thought Jesus was Elijah. Then why, are, why is there material about John the Baptist in Luke, for instance, it so, so clearly parallels uh, the nativity uh, of Jesus and that of Samuel. Uh, and um, uh, the, um, so, and, and then uh, we have uh, a martyrdom story of, of John the Baptist that in some respects is strikingly parallel to that of Jesus, even to the point of the tyrant's wife getting involved. I mean, why would that be? And then there's this resurrection kerygma uh, of John the Baptist where they're saying, 
John the Baptist is raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. That sounds an awful lot like in Romans chapter 1, that uh, Jesus, uh, according to the flesh, uh, son of David, but uh, according to the spirit of holiness, uh, he is the uh, he's designated the son of God uh, by an act of power, dunamis, the same word. It, it, and, and then what do we hear? In Mark, twice, people are saying, this Jesus guy, he must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. Well, there you go. Like you've got, and we know from the Mandeans and so on that people believe that uh, John was the Messiah. Uh, and uh, were they talking about the same guy originally? And, and then what about these weird bits where Jesus tells the disciples uh, to uh, everybody got a sword here because you're going to need it soon. Huh? Uh, the, the kingdom of God advances with violence and violent men take it by force. And he's got disciples, uh, you know, the zealot, uh, the bar Jonah, the terrorist, um, and so on and so on. What, what is that? Uh, that sounds, and he's crucified by Rome as a seditionist, the man who would be king. Was that all just a mistake? Uh, was it the, uh, the uh, what was it, the, um, like the uh, intelligence community saying uh, that uh, Trump is a Russian stooge and it was all a hoax? Uh, no, uh, somebody thought that and that it wasn't a bad thing. And so I just said, okay, let's put him in the relevant columns. And you have a bunch of stuff that would make the most sense uh, as a Christology, quote unquote, unto itself. Uh, and somehow it's all been scrambled and thrown into to four blenders. Uh, so uh, that's uh, now. I don't know that that happened, and uh, as far as I know, nobody else suggests it because there's this lingering idea of one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And like Christianity always must have been uh, the singular thing. I once asked Burton Mack, "Aren't you implying with your talk about Jesus movements?" plural and Christ cults, uh, that there was no single root of Christianity, but that things grew together. And he says, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. And so uh, I uh, figured, well, let's take that for a test drive and see. So uh, this is just like a, a kind of a hypothesis, a, pro a proposed paradigm. I'm sure most people that, that read this are going to think uh, I'm nuts. And and I agree, It's uh, there are problems with it, but boy, does it make new sense of a bunch of stuff. So there, there's my possible theory. Yeah, it works in the in the book. It's like that dire straight song, industrial disease. Two men well, say they're Jesus. One of them must be right. But uh <laughs> oh, good song, good song if you check it out. Good yeah. album. But uh yeah, for the audience, if you have any questions for Bob, please uh lots of question marks, caps, or just super chat them. And Vance will do his mm. best to be the scribe to get your mm. your question with us. But we were just talking about comic book movies. Can we make the sort of the same analogy? Like, for example, when we see a Batman movie, we might say 
Uh, gee, this is definitely Frank Miller stream that's been... Oh, this is an homage to Grant Morrison. Oh, this is the detective Batman of the 70s. And these are put in consciously and unconsciously. Can we make the same analogy from a Batman or comic book movie? Yeah, in fact, this latest one, the Ant-Man uh, movie, uh, the uh, business with uh, Kang the Conqueror, uh, in the original, he's just a, he's a guy from the future, uh, and he is a conqueror, and it's, it's just him. They don't get into the multiverse thing at that time. This is back in the early 60s. Uh, but we find there's this interesting scene in one of the comics where he meets uh, the, uh, the pharaoh Ramatut, who was an early Fantastic Four villain, and uh, the two get, uh, one of them rescues the other from his apparent death in a previous issue, and they start talking and begin to, to wonder, are we the same man from two different points in the timeline? That doesn't exactly work, but it's pretty pretty neat. Uh, well, that's who you're seeing in the mid-credits scene. Uh, when we see a guy with this big um, headdress, that's uh, Immortus, who was uh, another version of Kang from the Avengers. Uh, and the guy with the Pharaoh's hat, that's Ramatut. They're assuming you're a, a dyed-in-the-wool Marvelite, which, of course, I am. And so I get a huge kick out of this. And then these guys go into this stadium, like uh, Joel Osteen's church, filled with other avatars of, of Kang. Where'd they get that? That comes from decades later, once they've introduced the multiverse thing. Didn't have anything to do with it originally. Uh, plus, the uh, the idea of this micro uh, sub-universe, that comes from uh, Brian Michael Bendis's last story arc in The Avengers, where we thought the Wasp had been killed, but it turns out, no, she was shrunk down to this micro level, and there she helped overthrow a tyrant. That's just grafted onto it, too, and pretty well. And then Modoc, he comes from a whole different continuity and uh, I and they make him into yellow jacket did, did you see this did you say you've seen the movie yet I've, I've read some spoilers because I, I, I screened the movie for the kids when it's their time but no keep yeah. going yeah. Uh, well when uh, Modoc, who is identified with the villain yellow jacket uh, who was of course in the comics just another super identity of uh, of Henry Pym right. um, when they they reveal that Modoc is is this guy who he wasn't in the comics um, and he's he finally turns against Kang and he says at least I will have died as an Avenger uh, what sense did that make? Well, you have to know that for some years in the Avengers, Henry Pym was a, the Avenger Yellow Jacket. Uh, it's like a wink to the reader, uh, to the viewer. And so th that's a good example of it. It's exactly as you say. They've, they've taken bits and pieces from different continuities and characters and melded them into one story. Yeah, does the Vance does the Council of Kangs uh, ring a bell with another cartoon? Council of uh, Rick. Oh, <laughs> Rick <right>. and Morty. 
<laughs> the ah, I've, nev I've never seen that. I know of it. It's sort of based on Back to the Future, I think. Yeah, it? yeah. It's okay. Yeah. But it basically Roughly. deconstructs all science fiction and comic book tropes. Huh. And so there's a Council of Ricks, which is very uh -huh. much yeah, in the Citadel. <laughs> the Citadel of Ricks. Yes, yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> awesome. There you go. Yeah, well, we want to talk, too, about a lot of what uh, you write, the, the Gnostic undertones and influences and all that, because that's definitely what the audience was. And I love, Bob, how you talk about um, the idea or the uh, scholarship point that Gnosticism, to define it, you have to define it as a sort of... Uh, it really starts with theodicy, doesn't it? Like yana yoga and Jainism mm -hmm. and all that, right? It's people saying, all right, who's the Bond villain here? We can't, you know, what's going on kind of thing. Uh, Marvin Gaye, what's going on, right? Yeah. So theodicy is a cornerstone of any Gnostic thought, and that helps explain other movements, like you say, like Lurianic Kabbalah, Mithraism, mm -hmm. and so forth, right? Yeah, uh, you, any religion, uh, though you feel alienated, especially Gnostic ones, from uh, the world as it is, it's hard to believe that uh, it is all inherently bad. I mean, it's hard to go that far. And so they, they will say, this could not be the creation of a good God as other religions say it is that 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 something's wrong there. Uh, so what do we say? Well, there is an ultimate good God, but sure enough, uh, he couldn't have created this world. So who did? Well, uh, Plato had already distinguished between the the one high God, the form of the good, and uh, the demiurge, the the craftsman who actually hands on constructed the world. Well, he was no genius. Uh, it's like David Hume said once that, granted, there is a surprising amount of order in the world, but not enough to justify what Christians say about God. It's as if some, it's as if the Biden administration had created it. Uh, a committee of inept uh, buffoons, and uh, so that's um, th that. Uh, that would explain it. Uh, and the like another version of this that apocalyptic Jews and Christians had was that God created it, and and Satan got a hold of it and ruined it. But one day God will will take the reins again. It's a sort of an analogous view, though not the same one. And uh, so the demiurge is at fault, and we're implicated in it. Why, why do we? Why aren't we acclimated to this kind of a world? Well, some people are, uh, but some of us can see that this is wrong. Uh, like Morpheus says to Neo, you, you feel like you don't really belong here, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, you don't. And here's why: the real you is the uh, this the spark of the divine. Where'd you get that? It's part of God or of the realm of light in which he dwells. And I can show you how to isolate that and escape this veil of tears. Uh, so there is a world that is bad and you should be um, aloof to it and concentrate on uh, getting back to the pleroma, the divine fullness. And uh, so that's theodicy. 
you're 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 um um clearing God of these charges, uh, like a Job. You know what? Why is God <laughs> doing what He's doing? Uh, and and the in the, the it's the most profound book of the Bible. And at the end of it, God just says, "Hey, listen, Mister Smart Guy, uh, answer me this." What keeps the stars in the constellation of the Pleiades together? You got any ideas? Uh, can you explain the migration of birds or this or that or the other thing that you can see? You, you don't know, do you? Well, uh, but he, but he, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> and he says, and you think you can uh, second guess me? Uh, you, you, I'm God. I created this stuff. You expect to be able to psych me out and hold me responsible? Forget it. And and then Job says uh, once again, uh, he says, <laughs> I had heard of you, but uh, now I I uh, close my mouth. I'm ashamed of what I said. And he never finds out what happened. And uh, and and it's a rebuke. It's what Schleiermacher called agnostic piety that sometimes you you just have to say look who am i to think i can figure this out that's idolatry if i think i've got god figured out i have reduced him to an idol if an idiot like me can understand it it can't be the real god mm. and uh and this is sort of what gnostics are saying only they believe the knowledge is available and uh, the which, of course, Hindus say that and, and others do, but it's not available to the common slob, the pew potato. Uh, and uh, they, they may not even wonder why. And it's all right. It's all right. Uh, their religion is as good as far as it goes. Uh, they just don't really understand what's going on, but they're, they certainly are better off for, for believing in it. Unlike the real slobs, the, the two-legged animals out there that just don't give a damn, uh, they're sadly irredeemable. But, uh, you know, the pew potatoes, they're okay. They're okay. We, we got to be careful because if they know what we think, they will persecute us because they simply can't understand it and you can't expect them to. It's not their fault even. Uh, and I, I tend to think of Gnostic um, teachers as like Buddhist bodhisattvas. Uh, the New Testament casts them as arrogant SOBs. I have no need of you. Uh, well, they might have been that way. It's possible, but but I suspect that is projection from people that know there are those that make claims of higher knowledge and resent it. And, and uh, you think you're better than us? Uh, well, maybe they they thought. Well, I'm afraid I I am in one sense, though I it's nothing I can pat myself on the back for. And I think their idea was to be compassionate toward those, like Nietzsche says, the real Superman uh, doesn't disdain uh, those who aren't on his level. Uh, he's not. Why should he be threatened by them? He's, He's got to be careful with them, but they, he can't let them drag him down, but maybe he can drag them up. Yeah, well said. Yeah, God uh, uh, bragging to Job uh, reminds me, I don't know if you've seen the movie Zoolander, where Mugato mm. is screaming, I invented the keyboard necktie. I invented the keyboard. Yeah, I've never yeah, seen no. it. Oh, well, it's a funny movie. But, yeah, it's interesting, but also there's also the idea, too, that 
uh, maybe God created a good world, but then his underlings just screwed things. The CEO is fine, but his underlings either rebelled or took over like the Watchers and Paul Powers and Principalities. Uh, his alter ego, Simon Megas and these angels. Uh, that's another uh, way to uh, for theodicy, right, Bob? Yeah, that goes back to these old views probably derived from Plato that there was a celestial creator, but that uh, he begat gods who lived on earth among human beings and, and even created human beings. And uh, that, however, there were some who taught things to humans that they shouldn't have. And that becomes the fallen sons of God who who uh, decided that earth girls are easy and, uh, and seduced uh, these women and taught them all kinds of stuff like uh, wearing uh, makeup and gossiping and uh, tricking their husbands and all that and, and, uh, and, and taught men the use of weapons and the like. That might have been okay for angels or demigods, but not for humans. And they didn't know what to do with it. And so it got so bad, God decided, I, I got to drown them all like rats start over. Uh, I, I'm sorry I made him if it's come to this. Of course, he didn't exactly make them. It was the uh, the fallen sons of God. And I think it's Psalm 82. It's, it's part of the same mythology. Uh, God says, um, I say you are gods, all of you, yet you will die like men, like any mortal prince. Uh, and uh, you should have... Uh, vindicated the widow and the orphan and all that. You didn't. And so for that, he sentences them to the underground realm, exactly like Zeus and the Titans. And that's why at the end, it says they, they stumble around in darkness. It was an explanation for earthquakes. But nonetheless, it was like God fired them all. But this was, and at the end, it says, arise, O Yahweh. And, and rule the earth. That was the apocalyptic hope. It's careening out of control, um, not thanks to God, but thanks to his, his uh, lieutenants. Uh, and uh, he's, he's um, given them the death sentence, but they're still in charge at the moment. The principalities and powers, the archons of this age, they're the fallen sons of God. And one day they will be kicked out of office. And may that day come soon. It was like a coherent uh, view that explains why the world is such a wretched mess, but God is good. And as Peter Berger says, with this kind of theodicy, it's like it doesn't exactly explain what happens. I mean, it does, but it's not satisfying. You know, why did God allow them to do this? Well, it's not going to matter once he reverses it. Who's going to care uh, if, if you're in heaven and everything's fine? Well, that's as much of a mystery as it ever was, but what the heck, I'm not God. But in now it's everything's great, so what the heck? Yeah, 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 agreed. And uh, Vance, do you have a question or anything from the audience? Uh, I don't see any questions uh, so far, but 
Uh, I do have an observation, uh, or, and I can put it in the form of a question. Isn't it true that all these models of God, imagine God to have the same kind of singles, linear consciousness that we do? I mean, God's will. Couldn't God do two wills at the same time and split off timelines and do all sorts of things? I mean, if he's not limited. But why does he always have to be like a just a superhuman, you know? You have like the Council of Yahweh's, like the uh, well, I, I think of what Paul Tillich says, that if there is a God, uh, God must be being itself, because if God were not, then God would not be ultimate. And by uh, by God, we mean the ultimate. Now, we, we can't describe that. Uh, it, it's no thing. Uh, it's not a being, even a supreme being. It's being itself. Yet uh, that's pretty sterile as an object of worship. Uh, right. And so we have to symbolize God according to the highest state of reality we know, which is personhood. Uh, so uh, we, we should understand that God, like Tillich says, God is a person and the negation of himself as a person. And that to me is very much like... Uh, uh, Mahayana Buddhism and non-dualist Hinduism, where you're saying the, the ultimate Brahman is uh, nirguna, without qualities. Uh, but we, on our lower level of knowledge, have to posit Brahma, uh, a personal creator, who is Brahman saguna, with qualities. But that's a lower level, like a dreamlike level, higher than us. Uh, but it, it's the product of our limited perception. Uh, and so uh, to even, as Spinoza said, to even speak of the will of God is mythological. Uh, to think that, that God has to think an an ordered series of thoughts, which is what exactly. you're saying. If God has plans or a will, that's mythical personalistic thinking. Uh, and so it can't really be that. You just have to try to keep straight that, yeah, this is not the absolute. It's kind of like John chapter 12. I love this passage where Jesus says to the crowd, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. He doesn't say, don't believe in me, you're making a mistake. He says, keep in mind the perspective. You know, I am the way, not the goal. And, and that's kind of, or like the Zen thing, right? Hey, what, what is this moon I keep hearing people talk about? Oh, right there. Oh, your hand is, is the moon? No. Uh, and uh, that's, I think that's profound. And they've discovered it in the East and the West. And uh, so even to say God has competing wills, that that would still be, that would sort of make him a multiple personality or a schizophrenic. Uh, as in a great story by Clark Ashton Smith called Schizoid Creator. Uh, where it turns out that God is is the devil on his days off. It's really great. What a story. Love it. I used to read it in class to, to my students in Intro to Religion. Uh, and, uh, oh, fascinating. Um, great. Very good. 
And uh, I wanted to get also too into the origins of Gnosticism. And I know we've talked about it, but there's always new stuff. And you always bring new stuff too. And I think it's important. Uh, for example, uh, Jane, a scholar, Jane McGrath, has done a lot of work. And he finds that the Mandeans, Bob, a lot of their terminology, what they name beings and other things, are from first temple times. There's a kernel in the Mandean religion that goes way back. And then in History Valley, the podcast, Margaret Barker was there about six months ago, Bob. Mm. And she said that when she looks at the Gnostic Gospels and the Aeons and the Archons and their terminology, she sees them as coded, disguised uh, angels and so forth from the days of, of uh, Solomon. In other words, the Gnostics might have just been smuggling this sort of uh, first mm -hmm. temple, Asherah, animistic stuff, and they were able to do it underground, which makes their origins very ancient, don't you think? Have you heard anything of this? I know. Oh, yeah, I, I'm a great believer in Margaret Barker's yeah. work. She's rarely uh, wrong, even with her gut. Even if her gut says something, she's right. <laughs> Yeah, and she says, for instance, that uh, the that Sophia is Asherah, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, why do we have the fallen Sophia? Well, because uh, Asherah was suppressed in uh, Israel, uh, and uh, yet she continued. People won't give up what they sincerely believe in. It's like after Vatican II. Uh, uh, you know, traditionalist Catholics, they said, look, I'm sorry, but I'm still not eating meat on Friday. I'm sorry, <laughs> I still believe in purgatory. You can't just change that. Or, or when uh, Elijah Muhammad <clears throat> died and his son, Warith Dean Muhammad, changed everything up to make it more like Sunni Islam, uh, well, that's it was predictable that somebody would do what Farrakhan did and said, hey, look, we, we were all just wrong before. No, I think you're wrong now. We're sticking <laughs> with the old time religion. And uh, so, yeah, and it's it's absolutely clear that uh, that the archons and so on are. Uh, it's just a synonym for the fallen sons of God who still rule the, the nations. Uh, God, as in Deuteronomy 32, uh, El Elyon, the most high God, uh, when he was separating the human race into nations, he said, well, okay, how many sons of God do we have here? I'll create that many nations so each will have a, a, a people to rule. And uh, Yahweh, one of his sons, said, well, save Israel for me. And that's how it happened. But, you know, like uh, Jephthah, when when he's recruited to, I think, fight who was it, the Ammonites or the Kryptonites or somebody, <laughs> uh, he uh, he tries to, he, he offers a, a peace uh, gesture. He says to the, the uh, other king, look, why can't you be content with the land that your God, Kamash, has given you? And we'll be content with what our God, Yahweh, has given us. Uh, and Or David, he's driven out by Saul, and he, he has to work for the Edomites, and he says that I, I now can't worship Yahweh because I'm not in God's little acre of Israel. I'm in somebody else's little acre. Well, yeah, that's the way they viewed it. Uh, or in Daniel. He's wondering why the heck isn't Michael, uh, the angel, uh, 
due on time. And he says, look, sorry, I'm late, but I, uh, but the, the prince of Persia, uh, was uh, he he intercepted me and I, it took me a while to disengage. Now here I am. What is he talking about? Well, the the god of the Persians, uh, who is real and was appointed by El Elyon, uh, he didn't get along with uh, with Yahweh and and so forth. I mean, it all makes perfect sense. Those are the archons, the powers behind the thrones. It, it's not even a, a reinterpretation. It's it's exactly the same thing. Uh, and, and Walter Schmidtholz points this out. He says that Gnosticism and Jewish apocalyptic are basically the same thing. Uh, and uh, they, that is slightly in a different register, but but basically it's it's even that's the same thing. Agreed. And uh, it's interesting, too, because uh, uh, this reminds me of uh, the uh, many years ago, the debate you had with Bart Ehrman at mm -hmm. uh, the conference at uh, at Mythicist Milwaukee. And uh, Bart was just dismissed you when you said talking about the he said it was outdated to believe in the Egyptian and Zoroastrian origins of Nas. And don't get me wrong, Bart is an amazing scholar, and indeed I've hung, I've hung out with him, and he's a great guy to hang out. Yes, he we is. had a social event, and he was not just cool, but he was really nice to my kids when they were toddlers. And you can't mm. fake that. I mean, he's just mm. he's a nice, intelligent man. However, uh, I think I don't know why scholarship does that, but it is cool because you've always stood your ground like, no, 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 these origins are essential. And now you have individuals like April DeConnick, David Litwa, uh, other scholars who are saying, you know, it's so obvious that Gnosticism has a big Egyptian origin, ancient origin. It's like it's right in your face, isn't it, Bob? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at the Nag Hammadi texts. You've got Zostrianos. Uh, you've you've got the uh, the Apocalypse of Adam, uh, which one anthroposophist scholar I can't think of his name at the moment shows is is a Zoroastrian document, uh, yeah. and that Jesus was just sort of added to the list of the Illuminators as a as they're called, and uh, it, it just shows, like, everybody's got, like Kesemann said, that every sect can claim a, a plot of ground in the New Testament canon. That's why there was no church unity and can never be. Well, in the same way, look at the, uh, the Nag Hammadi text. It's like every proposed theory of sources for Gnosticism was vindicated. Platonism, uh, the Egyptian religion, uh, the um, uh, Zoroastrianism, and, and Jewish apocalyptic, they're all in there. So, I mean, that's, uh, I don't know how he can say that. Uh, there, I, I think he is, since he studied under the great Bruce Metzger, um, also a, a pleasure to know. I had a class with him once at Princeton. What what a fine man! Uh, he he was a almost a fundamentalist in in theology. And Bard studied textual criticism with him. And what turned Bard away from the faith was theodicy, uh, something that might well do that. Uh, and uh, but the fact is that it seems to me that everything he says shows that he's still captive to the 
the uh, evangelical paradigm about authorship dates and things like that, not completely. Uh, he is like fundamentalists will not admit Jesus is pictured as an apocalyptic failed prophet. Uh, he'll he'll go along with that to his credit. That that is a strong view. Uh, but um, in but certain things he seems never to have heard of, like the idea that Paul might not have written Galatians. Well, Karl Barth's mentor Rudolf Steck believed that he wasn't some kind of wacko Jehovah's Witness or something. Uh, or the idea that there were a bunch of Greco-Roman novels that involved people being crucified or condemned to it, but escaping in the final reel, as they say, uh, and and that people discovered empty tombs where somebody had been buried alive accidentally. He said, there are no such novels. I'm sorry, but there are. You, you can read them uh, in B.P. Reardon's collected ancient Greek novels. And you uh, talk a lot about them in your book. Your new book. Yeah. yeah. How can you not know about this? Well, because they're just not in the box. And, and that is startling because Bart is brilliant. Uh, there's some of his books that I love, uh, uh, but uh, he just, uh, the stuff is, is strange and unknown, apparently, to him. I, I hate to say that because I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm more negative toward him than I am. I'm simply trying to explain surprising differences I find that I have with him, but I don't, I don't mean to denigrate him. Oh, no worries. You aren't. And what about the idea as April DeConnick said that uh, one thing that's elusive about Gnosticism is that it's more of a metaphysical orientation or you can, as some have said, you can compare it to shamanism. Shamanism is a spiritual modality that attaches itself to Mongols and the Lamb in uh, different groups and then spread down into the Middle East. So you can't have a church of the shamanism, but you can have a, a religion with a shamanistic side. Gnosticism is kind of that way. And some have said even Buddhism is kind of sort of this parasitic religion that can just fit into Chinese, Japanese, you know what I mean? It, it can so adapt like, like the holy plasmate of Philip K. Dick. Uh, what do you think of that, Bob? Well, I did a, an article once called uh, Buddhism and Bultmanism, where I, I said that Buddhism is a great example of what uh, Bultmann's talking about, that this existentialist understanding of reality that that, that is magnified into colorful mythology. Well, that's what Buddhism does. They don't care what gods you believe in as long as you realize that they're not really the ultimate thing uh, and, and so on. Um, whether it has to do with shamanism, I don't know because uh, uh, one, one big question remaining for me with Gnosticism is what sort of transformative experience did people have? Uh, I, because a lot of what they say about enlightenment and so on sounds to me like they have simply embraced a, a doctrine uh, and, and have a, a knowledge of new things. Like, okay, when I die, I, I memorize the passwords, like you said. I'm pretty sure that's why the Dead Sea Scrolls had their members uh, uh, memorizing the names of the angels, because one day they would need them. 
Uh, oh, you're uh, Zariel. That's right. Come on in. Uh, and um, that it, it seems to me that's like you had a kind of knowledge uh, that uh, you thought anyway. And uh, it, like I, I compare this to um, Janana Yoga of Shankara and so on, where uh, he led people to believe you would have this transformative, mind-blowing experience. But most people, all you needed to do was to understand his doctrine. Well, people said, you know, I, I think I grasp this, but I'm, I'm no different. I'm not experiencing anything. I, I guess I'm just hoping for the best once I die. Uh, some people must have had it. I mean, uh, Shankara and a lot of people have these fantastic experiences. I have a hunch they're somehow manipulating the, what is it, the... Uh, temporal low, whatever, some lobe, I used to know what it was. Uh, uh, and uh, they're getting this oceanic feeling, which is exactly what Freud said uh, mysticism was. Uh, and uh, But uh, the same thing apparently happened with uh, Shankara. Uh, they, they, his followers began to say, maybe it isn't that much like lightning striking, maybe there are mantras and things, uh, some kind of yoga that will make this happen. And uh, Schmidt said the same thing about Gnosticism. He said it went from a, a simple satori kind of a thing uh, to, uh, to uh, sort of superstitious stuff like knowing the names and all of that. Uh, and people that had to do that, I think, were sort of admitting defeat that there wasn't any lightning bolt involved or Buddhas or Zen, right? You got the, the two schools of it. It just has to hit you. You can't cause it. And others say, well, I, I, I'm not going to wait around forever. <laughs> uh, is there some koan or something I can use? Uh, that's a, a, a perennial problem, I think. And so I'm sorry to get off on that, but my point was, I wonder how many people actually felt some sort of transcendent opening up and how many simply embraced a new theology that they thought would get them somewhere. I, I don't know if there's any way to know. No, yeah, that's a good question. And uh, yeah, before we move on to some questions, uh, and it's interesting because you and I, Bob, have talked about how they've, these they've tried to marginalize Gnosticism and never exist and blah, blah. We've, we've beaten that dead horse uh, mm -hmm. a lot, but also I didn't know too, from your book, you say there are scholars who are trying to say that the mystery religions never existed either. Speaking of yeah. another spiritual modality, that's what do you think? Yeah. Helmut Kester uh, said that in his uh, two volume uh, uh, thing about the, basically his his theology of the new testament some other title and he said really what did they have in common and uh it it seemed to me that he was grossly oversimplifying it to the point where you could say the southern baptists or ralph cramden's raccoon lodge was a mystery religion uh, <laughs> and that therefore there really weren't any I don't buy that for a second uh, because uh, the, the Mithras and Isis, we know 
uh, from ancient works that they had analogous initiation rites and had visions, uh, at least some of them, uh, and that they had to, sacramental rituals where you were patched into the saving sacrifice of the God who, who had a victory, who, who may have died and come back to life or gone to the underworld and come back. It's all like different versions of the same thing. And that uh, there was a period of catechism and preparation. Right. There was a holy meal. Uh, there were things like in the Hercules religion, you would wear a, a, a lion skin as part of the initiation because you were repeating Hercules killing of the Nemean lion and so on. I don't see how you can ignore that stuff, but they don't seem to, they must've been absent playing hooky on the day. Somebody explained what an ideal type was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We know they're not all the same. They're not just Xeroxed from each other. The point is let's make a, an admittedly artificial list of what they do have in common and use that as a yardstick to measure their variations from it. Uh, we, we can, uh, like with, with Buddhism, is Buddhism a religion? Well, I'm not so sure because they don't have God. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but look at what they do have, and that may explain why they differ in this area. And, and of course, it does, because Buddhism says, there are gods, but they're just like angels or something. They can't help you. You have to do it. Well, bingo, that may be why they don't have a god. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I, I don't see what is so impossible to grasp about that. But if there was no such thing as Gnosticism, you might as well say there's no such thing as Presbyterianism. Uh, I mean, there's loads of different Presbyterian nuances. I, I just think that is... Uh, inexplicably dim-witted. And, and, and the reason I say inexplicably is that people like Helmut Kester, Karen King, people I have known personally, I know they're brilliant. Uh, and that, that this intellectual fad just puzzles the heck out of me. Same here, same here. All right, before we get some questions, a little house... Uh... Housekeeping, God, I lost my notes. Yeah, for the intro, you heard the Virtual Alexandria Academy. Please join. I just added a course on Mary Magdalene, the characteristics of Mary Magdalene. And uh, yeah, you 25, I think it's 20% off this weekend, but uh, I'll put, put it on the show notes. Uh, anybody looking for voiceover uh, services. I am your man, uh, ramping Ooh. that up and it's doing well. Also, I'll put that on the show notes too. Lots of links, great shows coming in the future. And, uh, we'll get uh, into that, including we'll have in about a week or so, a show on Simon Magus versus Simon Peter things, Ooh, the, the great battle in ways that you haven't seen it. So we'll have, uh, Elliot Saxton and he's going to come up with a good presentation. So great shows coming and appreciate the support and definitely also support Bob and his Patreon. So he brings you some very cool, uh, very cool articles and Bible geeks. So that's the, that's the housekeeping events. Any questions from you or the audience? Well, I got uh, uh, the first one on my list is uh, I guess we don't have to um, uh, we don't have to address this in uh, large terms, but Wojciech Habdas wants to know why Gnostics are so beautiful. 
<laughs> they are. I don't know. I, don't know. Um, I just put that out there to see how you react. <laughs> uh, well, I, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry for the stereotyping, but this makes me think of the question of who is a Satanist, and it, it, it's uh, you, you tend to think it's a bunch of losers uh, who uh, are some kind of pathetic nerds and probably are according to the standards of the world uh, are probably not the beautiful people uh, though uh, though uh, LaVey did have some pretty decent looking women uh, to be his altars uh, uh, but uh, I don't know I, what they say is so fascinating and it is elitist but I think that's Simply an yeah. actual description of, of people. You don't have to be a jerk about it. Uh, but uh, well, if Ellen of Tyre was an incarnation of Helen of Troy, I'm sure she was very yeah, nice on the eyes. Right. And Simon Magus was proud to walk around with her hand on his uh, with her hand on his arm. So uh, yeah, yeah, his trophy logos. <laughs> 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 All right, uh, John D. Thackeray uh, wants to know. Uh, this is more like a Bible geek question. When Jesus refers to himself as Morning Star in Revelation, is he saying sweet Jesus is going to return as bitter? Uh, you mean That's well, the, the Morning Star? It seems to be a, a reference to well, this is slim Pickens, but. Uh, that uh, sounds like a reference back to Isaiah 14, where the, the king of Tyre uh, is uh, compared to Adam the, and uh, I, I, who was uh, cast out of Eden and all that, which is kind of odd. But, it, but the book of Revelation is filled with astronomy and astrology to an, to an amazing degree. If anybody wants to follow up on this, uh, Bruce J. Molina uh, wrote a, a terrific book um, called, um, I believe it's, I always get the title and the subtitle mixed up. It's something like the, the genre and message of revelation. I couldn't have that turned around. It might be the message and genre, uh, but uh, Molina is M-A-L-I-N-A. -A. He's famous for having done a bunch of stuff on sociology and anthropology in the Gospels, uh, which is very illuminating. But this book, he there's a surprising amount of stuff still extant from ancient astronomy and astrology, which were the same thing back then. And he shows how this, that, and the other thing all through Revelation, uh, they're using well-known, widely attested, images from ancient astronomy. It, it clears loads of things up, the trumpets, the, the 24 elders, ah. all kinds of things, the living creatures that are full of eyes, and, and more and more and more. You got to read it. Well, uh, that's uh, it, given that, there's nothing sinister about the morning star with Jesus, but but it he's being shown as fitting into the the message in the heavens, and uh, like uh, when people even today wonder the woman clothed with the sun is that supposed to be the Virgin Mary? Well, that's 
possible. I mean, there's two or three good possibilities, but that's the kind of thing. I forget what he says specifically about that, but uh, that's the kind of thing that the with which the book of Revelation is just dripping. And, and so Jesus is uh, the morning star. That wasn't necessarily a predicate of just demons, because after all, in the first couple of centuries, you had bishops named Lucifer, right? They, they You don't have a bishop Satan anywhere. Uh, but uh, so Lucifer meant different things. And with, with Jesus too, I'm sure they're saying he's like the, the son of the morning and so on. Okay, great. Um, oh, here, here's a SD wanted to um, observe that we haven't mentioned Manichaeism uh, mm. yet in this, in this broadcast. Um, what do you have to say about the Manichaeism and uh, how it fits in with uh, this latest concept of yours in the book? Uh, well, by the, that time, like Manichaeanism was pretty syncretistic. So it would almost be surprising if it were mainly influenced by one of these views, but in a sense, you can pinpoint, uh, it certainly comes out of Gnosticism. It, it's like a, a, a more developed version of Gnosticism, which is saying something because it's in, astonishingly complex even before you get to that in the, in the third century. Uh, and for instance, Mani, who, styled himself the apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, he thought that he was, he taught that he was the current incarnation of the paraclete and uh, of the same entity that it appeared as Jesus, as the Buddha and Zoroaster. Uh, he knew all about him. Of course, it was a very cosmopolitan age. And uh, he had this cosmic dualism that some people compare to Zoroastrianism. And, but it, it was uh, more of, a, of an antagonistic of dualism, though it's pretty tough to beat the Zoroastrians with that. But um, uh, uh, one of my favorite scholars... Um, I don't know if I'm saying this right, uh, the Swedish scholar, uh, Geo Wiedengren, um, W-I-D-E-N-G-R-E-N. Uh, he wrote a bunch of books, including um, Mesopotamian elements in Manichaeanism. And, and this guy, it was omniscient. Uh, whenever I get to thinking, you know, Price, you're pretty smart, I think, nah, because there's this guy and that guy and the other ones that know more than I can have learned in a hundred lifetimes. Well, he's one of those. And he shows how uh, not only was Marduk probably uh, originally a dying and rising god, but that that survives intact into the, the redeemed redeemer myth of Gnosticism and Manichaeanism. He doesn't just tie it to Gnosticism, but as far as Manichaeanism, and Manichaeanism was a world religion for nearly a thousand years. It's amazing yeah. to look at it like some kind of obscure cult, uh, <laughs> savages dancing around a fire. No, 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 no. Uh, it just shows you what can happen after a long, long time. 
the Tesla of religions, right? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, that always amazed me too. Um, now, a pack of viceroys wanted to know um, if you had any thoughts on the work of Professor Robin Faith Walsh. Uh, he just bought that book. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting book. I, I think, in a way, she's reinventing the wheel because she's arguing that uh, these were literary compositions. Uh, they weren't just put together by a bunch of uh, pious rubes. Uh, and uh, I, I don't mean to make her sound dismissive, uh, but she's saying given literacy rates and, and all of that and the availability of writing materials and all that, it can't have been anything like today and uh, that there's enough polish in the Gospels to show that they were written by... Uh, uh, how do you say it, literati or whatever, that uh, people that, that knew each other and would get together to share their works and all that. Well, I, for my money, the Old Testament minimalist, Philip R. Davies, had already shown that about the Old Testament books. He said, who do you think wrote this stuff and for whom? Well, look at the subtleties that redaction criticism, for example, shows that uh, you that you could do what Conselman did and compare Luke with Mark and and collected these little changes that aren't that little uh, in accumulation. You can see this guy had an agenda. He's subtly altering what Mark said, and it's pretty clear what he's getting at. Like, you would never have that stuff if you weren't a, a, an advanced scholar writing for your colleagues. Do you think the common people that uh, heard bits and pieces of these texts read in church every once in a while, could you expect them to pick up on this? And they weren't, they weren't stupid, but they simply wouldn't have had the opportunity. Well, I think that uh, he had already basically said what she is saying. She's just talking more about the New Testament and, and the Hellenistic context. But uh, so I, I think she's right. Uh, but uh, I'm a big history of scholarship guy, and I think it's worth pointing out that Davies had, as if I understand everybody, uh, had already made that case. But that's good. I mean, that's that's like um, she seems not to know about that, as as I remember. But that's good because it's like repeatability in in science. So I think it's a, a real good book. Okay, great. She is um, against the idea, I believe, of communities. You know, the standard that there was a, a Johannine community and a Thomas community and a Mary community. Do you think? What do you think of that, Bob? Do you think? I don't see that that's entailed there because uh, the uh, the you don't have to assume that everybody understood everything, but the, the for the intelligentsia who did study. Uh, this would the 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 complexity of the text taught them things that would affect what they taught uh, the the common people. Other things they would have thought, well, for the sukekoi, you know, why bother them with this? <laughs> but but they would know it, and uh, and so I, I don't think that uh, and and the work that has been done on that basis seems to me to make a whole lot of sense. And if you say that uh, 
if you take Eric Franklin's Christ the Lord, where he's he's trying to shift in uh, eschatology, uh, sort of the same thing Conselman did, but uh, taken it a little further, trying to situate it in view of the delay of the parousia and God vindicating his faithful. And it, it makes sense. It's the kind of thing that we know faced early Christians. And if you can show how these one book is more germane to one kind of situation or another, that's a, a pretty strong theory. I, I don't think it's an either or thing. Yeah, it makes sense. All right, Vince, one more question. Oh, boy, I got to pick somebody's question. Um, okay, we have a Cathar question. We have um, a general consciousness question, and we have something about the Aura Linda. No, that's not know. a That's like a request, not a question. All right. Yeah, okay, we'll get rid of that one. Okay, so let's see. Um, I'll, I'll pick the uh, uh, Catharism. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts on Catharism in general? And uh, Jose R. says that he uh, says there's still a church active in France, I believe. But uh, uh, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts? On the well, that was uh, one of these so-called medieval Manichaean groups that uh, as we don't know if they reinvented the wheel or if there was some underground trendus, which either is, is likely. Uh, and it, it did have cosmic moral dualism like historic Manichaeanism. It might have been a continuation of it. And I, one thing I find very interesting uh, is that they, as Gnostics, they held a view that is also held by Jainists and others further east, and they pursued it to the same logical conclusion independently of one another, namely that once you were done with worldly existence uh, and you had freed yourself from it, you might as well voluntarily starve to death. Both of them came up with that. Uh, and uh, and so... You don't uh, think the Manichaeans could have been the bridge? Because the Manichaeans... Oh, they might have been. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just speculating. Yeah, the Bogomils, a bunch of these people were dualists, the Paulicians, yeah. uh, and it could well have been that they were they passed down old manuscripts and so on. Um, there's a good discussion of this in Johan Culiano's book, The Tree of Gnosis, where he says you got two possibilities: this dissemination, where they did actually have links to the past, or structuralism. The, the human mind is pretty much got the same furniture in it. No matter where you are, you're living in the same kind of world. And sooner or later, religious people will settle on uh, one of a range of options. And so it, it, it's not surprising if they do reinvent the wheel. It's hard to tell which happened. Absolutely. By the way, I have a book I'm working on. Uh, it's basically finished, but I'm tinkering, uh, called Houses of the Holy, a, a higher critical survey of the world religions, uh, where I uh, have chapters, some extremely long, some very short, on the well-known religions. And uh, about half, half of the ones are, are 
so-called lesser religions like the Baha'is, uh, the Mandeans, the Yazidis, uh, and and uh, wow. so forth. And uh, so I go with how they, you know, how were, how did they begin? How did their theology develop? What are the big um, uh, uh, factions? And of course, there's plenty of jokes thrown in, uh, <laughs> like. Uh, what what are the Muslims doing with this problem, or are they up Shiite Creek? Uh, <laughs> ecumenically insensitive remarks. So it's going to be great. Sounds like a good textbook, you know, for a you know survey religion course in colleges. Well, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. But I'm trying to be like the problem with stuff like Houston Smith's the religions of man or whatever they're calling it, the religion of hominids or whatever these days uh that is that they tend to oversimplify and and that's okay because they're introductions to religion yeah uh, that's all right i don't blame them but i'm writing for people that like me are interested in the weird aspects the minutia uh the odd questions so uh, let's tackle them and uh, i think it's going to be a unique treatment sounds great very excited about that one. Awesome. Awesome. Well, there's so much more for the audience in this book. As I always say, we scratch the surface. I love uh, how I was reading your book, Bob, and I was like, why were people in ancient times so interested in empty tombs and pirates? That seems to be a thing. Uh, again, I'm thinking of that movie, uh, Shakespeare in Love, where his colleagues are hounding Shakespeare. He wants to do something artistic, and they're like, it's got to have pirates. If it doesn't have pirates, nobody oh. will buy it. So pirates was very, I mean, we make fun of how Hollywood is always coming up with the same tropes, but... Uh, in ancient times, they had the same ages, yeah. right? Yeah, pirates. well, of course, pirates. Uh, it was common to to have people buried alive. It happened so often that medical textbooks said, "Now watch out! Uh, you may better make darn sure because you know here's case after case." Uh, and this this comes up in nonfiction uh, works uh, as well as as medical texts and so on. So it happened quite a bit. Yeah, we're still uh, in doubt, right? If somebody's brain dead, are they dead? Uh, you know what what constitutes? So we still have that problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. The old uh, yeah, same as it ever would. Same as it ever was. There I am mm -hmm. quoting the song wrong. So, uh, well, awesome. So you got that book there uh, for your your book found. Uh, you just mindvendor.com. Can people, do you still promote your homepage as much as you do? Or what do you want to promote? Uh, yeah, it's in the works, but it's still functional. I mean, we're okay. revising it. But yeah, uh, and I, I don't know if we've done it again. For a while, we had uh, the link. So you could order it right from there from Amazon. Then idiots that run our state made that illegal, but now it's legal again. So I think we still we have that up and running again. All right. Well, we'll, we'll have it on the show notes. Uh, it looks like I'm turning into Max Headroom again. I don't well, know why it happens with my camera after. An, it happens always after an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. Hmm. Uh, but awesome. Well, uh, the audience, you, great questions, uh, mm. great discussions. Uh, first, I'll say, Vance, thanks for uh, taking this pirate ship where it needs to go. 
Arr, <laughs> hey, we have Captain Bible Geek on <laughs> at the wheel. So, no, it's hey, Bob, it's been great being with you, and uh, thanks you for too. coming on the show. Yeah, yeah, Bob, as always, thank you for gracing the virtual Alexandria, the priests of the Temple of Syrians. They are cowling, they are afraid. Uh, the Archons run, they are running because we, we got their passwords. We're there. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, thank you, Bob. Thank you, audience. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And as I always say, write your own gospel, live your own myth, and have a good rest of your weekend. Take care, everybody. Bye. Amen.